Hello and welcome to NFL First and Gold, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Eric Allen, the former NFL cornerback. On today's podcast, we'll focus on the key matchups across the league, spotlighting the divisional game between the Ravens and Browns with Cadre Ismail, the former Ravens receiver. But let's kick off the podcast with our NFL insider. Now, it's time for NFL Network reporter Ian Rappaport. It's the Rap Sheet on the NFL on TuneIn. And we appreciate you taking the time. We rarely talk about kickers, but given the fact that Mason Crosby of the Packers missed four field goals and an extra point today in Detroit, you think the Packers are going to be looking for a new kicker? I I don't think so. Uh, And obviously, look, I mean, it's one of the worst games we've ever seen from a kicker. I would think in NFL history, I mean, that, that that was a... win that probably should have been had Mason Crosby been what he's been for a lot of his career and you know just reading some comments from Aaron Rodgers I mean there was there was certainly a lot of support Rodgers called him one of the greatest kickers in NFL history which he has been um but he also said you know the Packers need to clean up the operation and he's got to make them um so certainly some accountability there but at this point it's being viewed like an aberration more than anything else a loss today to the Lions, uh, 31-23, coming off of what else we've been hearing uh, coming from Green yeah. Bay. Uh, is the relationship with Aaron and and the head coach okay? Is, is this thing going to unravel? I don't know if it's going to unravel, but it's definitely a thing. And I'm certainly not going to be one of those people that says, ah, oh, they'll be fine. You know, I think the Packers will be. I mean, yes, they, they are a good team and will be a good team. Uh, but they do need to solve this. And, you know, there is some tension there. Um, there is some sort of creative frustration there, uh, I think, from both sides. And, you know, I talked to Mark Murphy, the Packers CEO, earlier in the week. And basically what he said was, uh, we've seen this before. We've been through this before. You know, I trust their track record that this is something that they're going to be able to get through. Uh, but they just have to do it. Um, and I think, you know, what needs to happen now is some serious huddling, some serious getting together and um, trying to figure out which direction the offense is going to go. Yeah, what is the, what's the issue? I mean, you have the best quarterback in the league. You have a coach that's been successful. What is the issue? What's the problem? Well, there's been some moving parts on, on that offense. Remember, Joe Philbin came back for the you know first time in a couple of years. Um, and as far as the just the design of it, you know, they kind of tinker with things. They took a, a you know a new look at the playbook, um, and you know we we still it's interesting we still haven't heard wholehearted support from Rodgers on what they did with the offense in general. I mean, I know this is something that Mike McCarthy talked about, but for Rodgers, it's kind of been like, well, okay, you know, we'll see. And I think it's really just. Um, the disjointedness, the lack of flow is something that has frustrated him. And you know, we've seen in the past McCarthy give up play calling. Um, Tom Clements got it at one point. You know, we'll see if they do something like that. At this point, that would be premature. Um, but you do have to think if it continues that, that something will have to make, especially when you consider that Green Bay has a new GM. The quarterback just got a new contract, so he's not getting anywhere. He's not going anywhere, so does the sort of um, pressure turn to Mike McCarthy? We'll use deductive reasoning there. He is Eric Allen. I'm Brian Weber chatting with our NFL insider, Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Be sure to check out his podcast, Rap Sheet and Friends. Every week it's terrific here on TuneIn. Ian, according to reports, Le'Veon Bell could rejoin the Steelers on their bye in two weeks. Is Pittsburgh still actively shopping him? 
uh, they are still actively shopping him, and, and you know I do expect him to return at some point. I'm not sure it was like you know I know there was a report that he'd come back week seven. That doesn't make a lot of sense because if he was going to come back during the bye, he could theoretically practice, not be activated, and basically not get paid for the week of practice. And for someone who, um, you know, was was so adamant in staying away and and so. Uh, strong on where he wants his contract to be hard to imagine that he shows up and doesn't get paid. Um, probably a week eight arrival would make more sense, or maybe even week nine. You know, my understanding is for um, you know for Le'Veon Bell, uh, he does not want to be traded. His mindset right now is to come in, play for the Steelers, and put up numbers, and then go toward free agency. And and he would control that because remember. All, if he wanted to stop a trade, all he'd have to do is just not sign his franchise tag. Very simple. Steelers today looked really good. Uh, 41 points today defensively yeah. looked good. This was the best performance so far this season. Does that have any – the way they play today, does that have anything um, to do with what they're going to eventually uh, do with Le'Veon? You know, I've tried to figure that out uh, to no avail because, you know, what does it mean? Like, let's say, I mean, James Conner was good. The Steelers were great. Um, Let's say they're rolling along and they're doing well. Does that make it more likely or less likely that they would trade him? I'm still not sure. If they were struggling, does that mean they need him and they got to get him back for a playoff run? Or does that mean they should bail and just trade him and say, you know what, we're done. Let's just let's just move on. I'm still not really sure. Because you could make an argument either way. Um, but I think, you know, again, Bell does have some control. And if he decides, as it seems to have decided, that he doesn't want to go anywhere, then he is the one with the power because he would just have to not sign his tag. And, you know, the, one of the reasons, you know, I don't think he wants to learn a new offense. But the other thing is, um, let's say he goes to the Jets, the Browns, you know, one of the teams with a lot of salary cap space, they could actually franchise him a third time as the Steelers could not. Uh, and I don't think that's something he wants either. And last one for me. We have not discussed Des Bryant in a few weeks. Do you think he's going to play for anybody this year? Jerry Jones on the radio in Dallas this week reiterating it won't be the Cowboys. Yeah, it's not going to be Dallas. And, you know, I think Des uh, created some headlines again by saying that, you know, he would love to return to Dallas. It's not happening. It is just not happening. And, you know, it's also been kind of fascinating that he's talked about um, – you know, making sure he gets right, making sure his mind is right. You know, these are not the comments from someone who is ready to play right now. And I don't know what the issue is, uh, but it certainly has been one of the strangest free agencies I can remember. I still think there's a probably a good chance he plays this year and maybe a contending team has a receiver or several receiver injuries and decides to take the leap. I just don't know where it is, and I can't remember a more perplexing free agent situation than Des Bryant's. And as always, we appreciate the insights. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday, and we'll chat with you next week again here on the NFL on TuneIn. Enjoyed it. Thank you very much. We continue on NFL First and Gold, the podcast. Now let's break down the game between the Dolphins and Bengals with Dave Lapham, game analyst for Cincinnati's ESPN 1530 and the Bengals Radio Network. Pleased to be joined by Dave Lapham, game analyst for Cincinnati's ESPN 1530 and the Bengals Radio Network. Dave, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. What did the latest comeback victory today tell you about the tenacity of this team? Well, good afternoon, Brian and Eric. Good to be with you guys. It, it says a lot, you know, and it goes back to last year. 
the last two games of the season, the Bengals rallied from behind in the fourth quarter and knocked two playoff teams, playoff possibility teams out of playoff contention. Knocked the Lions out of the playoffs, knocked the Ravens out of the playoffs on a fourth and 12 from the 49-yard line with a touchdown. And then uh, in this season, you know, in their, in their first five games, uh, they're 6-1 and one in those seven games. In five of those seven games, they've had to come from behind in the fourth quarter for victory. The only time they didn't do it in the six wins was the Baltimore game in Cincinnati because they had a fourth quarter lead. So they've done it time and time again. And there's been a carryover from the way the season finished last year. And you know how it gets to be contagious. I mean, these guys believe they never feel like they're out of a football game. When you're down three scores and then you win by two, that's rare in the NFL. The team's only coming behind by 17 points or more eight times in its history. And uh, this one was a big one for sure. Yeah, for sure. I, I really love the way it seems like they're using AG, AJ Green in different uh, uh, lineups and, and formations. I mean, today, another 100-yard game. This guy's just been fantastic. Under, uh, I'd say overshadowed uh, by some of the other receivers in the league. But talk to us about what Dalton and Green have been able to do this season. Eric, it's been unbelievable. And, and you know, as a, as a defensive back, you know, it's, if you – if you're thinking about shadowing him, putting a guy on him, he's lining up in so many different positions. You know, it, it's hard to do. It's hard to double him. It's hard to do a lot of things there. He's lining up in the slot on either side of the formation. He's lining up as the widest receiver either side of the formation. He's going in motion. So credit, uh, you know, both uh, both the offensive coordinator and Bill Lazor and the, and the position player himself, A.J. Green, for recognizing what – you know, what would alleviate some of those problems that A.J. may have. A.J. being smart enough to do it, Laser having the confidence in A.J. to do that. And, you know, he's, he's very, very tough that way. Plus, he comes off the field to his position coach, Bob Bicknell at wide receiver, Bill Lays, the coordinator, his quarterback, the quarterback coach, and says, hey, when I'm in the slot, I get 24, dude can't cover me. <laughs> you know, let's, let's feature that. I mean, he's looking for, he's probing matchups himself on wow. the football field. And they respect his, you know, his football acumen. He comes off the field and says, when we go in this formation and motion this way, I, I get somebody that can't cover me. Let, let's get back to that. So there's give and take going on, you know, between players and coaches that's very, very positive for sure. Chatting with Dave Lapham, game analyst for the Bengals Radio Network. Dave, how about this defense that welcomed Bontez Perfect back from his suspension coming up with a pair of touchdowns to key the comeback? Amazing. Uh, two series apart. You know, one happens, then an offensive series, and then another one happens. I mean, it, it was crazy, and uh, it, it's it's nuts the way it occurred. Michael Michael Johnson gets his with a hustle play. He causes pressure and goes to the ground as the offensive tackle finishes the block, and he jumps up and, and stays after it, and the ball bounces, ricochets off Gillespie's face mask, the tight end. They had max protection, two tight ends, and they had seven people blocking up front. The ball ricochets off his face mask and goes right into Michael Johnson's hands. He waltzes in for a touchdown. His first in his 10-year NFL career. On the flip side of it, Sam Hubbard gets his. You know, uh, Carlos Dunlap comes in pressure and an empty hand. You know, at the quarterback comes forward with the football not in his hand. So that's ruled a fumble. And uh, Tannehill fumbles the football and right into Sam Hubbard's possession. He takes it back for a touchdown. He has his defensive score fifth game of his career you know a rookie so you have the north and south pole that whole thing and to score two defensive touchdowns in a quarter they scored 24 points in the fourth quarter two of them are defensive scores by defensive linemen that is unbelievably rare they outscored the dolphins 14 to 10 they only gave up 10 points they had a 
you know, 72 yard punt return on special teams. They, they out, the defense outscored uh, the, the Miami Dolphins 14 10 today. That's good stuff. It's week five, and you have to appreciate where this football team is right now. But you know everyone outside of Cincinnati is talking about, okay, you've done that, and you've won regular season games before and had a great regular season. How is this going to translate into the playoffs? That's a great question. First, they have to get there. You know how it goes. I mean, sometimes the great starts. But, you know, I I saw a number. You can do anything with numbers. Stats, you know, starts are for losers, obviously, but – I think it's like 75, 80% of the time, something like that, teams that start 4-1 and one make the playoffs. But there's still, you know, 25% or, to, uh, 25% or so of teams that don't. But you're right. I mean, even the biggest test now is going to be this week. In come the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're 2-2-1. Two, two and one. They have a division tie and a division loss. So they're 0-1-1 in the, in, the, uh, in the division. The Bengals are 1-0 and in the division. I mean, they can they can really do some damage. But Ben Roethlisberger has lost in Cincinnati twice in his entire career. He's never lost, I don't think, in Cleveland. I mean, he owns the state of Ohio. He was undefeated his senior year as a quarterback at Miami of Ohio. When he crosses the border of the state of Ohio, he's Superman. He doesn't <laughs> lose. So it's going to be real interesting. Can the Bengals finally get the Pittsburgh Steeler monkey off their back when the Steelers come to town next week? And if they can, they, they, they've got themselves in a good situation in the division for sure. Dave, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for giving us a few minutes again today here on the NFL on TuneIn. My pleasure, guys. Have a great one, Brian and Eric. Next on NFL First and Gold, the podcast, let's break down the divisional game between the Browns and Ravens with Super Bowl champion Quadre Ismail, the former Ravens receiver. Pleased to be joined by Super Bowl champion Quadre Ismail, the former Ravens receiver. Quadre, what did you take away from this game? We know it's always intense when Baltimore and Cleveland get together. I think the biggest thing is the fact that Baker Mayfield outshined Joe Flacco. Baker Mayfield did an amazing job of uh, staying in the pocket against a Ravens defense that was relentless against him, but ultimately made the necessary plays to uh, allow his team to be in position to kick the game-winning field goal in overtime. You, great talking to you, man. Um, is the conversation going to go back to Flacco, and is he the uh, quarterback who's going to lead this team to the playoffs? Uh, is, is that the questions now for, for this uh, football team? Well, first and foremost, uh, it's great to hear your voice, Eric. And uh, <laughs> I tell you what, bro, it is always awesome to um, be able to be on and talk football with you because uh, it is the intricacies of the game that you have in the time that we spent up ESPN helped me um, bring out and help the fan base understand the game in a more enjoyable way. For sure, for sure, so my man. Said, I will say this, that, yes, Joe has had an amazing four weeks. Um, this game was really a setback of sorts, but I think part of the setback had to do with his number one receiver and Michael Crabtree having an off game. Um, Joe Flacco didn't throw a touchdown pass. Joe actually had a red zone interception, and um, they didn't look as good as they needed to have looked. But I think when he got off to a slow start, and in large part due to just his number one guy and Michael Crabtree not being you know, reliable and having some, uh, some, some unnecessary drops in key moments, I think that that's where he was derailed and wasn't able to 
get into the rhythm that we saw in the first four weeks of the season. You alluded to Michael Crabtree. Beyond the loss today, the Ravens have been looking for playmakers for quite some time. What has this new receiving core shown you to start the year? They've shown up, I, I think, across the board. And key moments, uh, John Brown, uh, Snee, um, you know, the rookie and, and Mark Andrews at the tight end spot, uh, you know, they've all, you know, produced. I think Michael Crabtree, um, unfortunately, has had so many drops that it overshadows some of his strong play um, and key moments, too. But uh, for the most part, you're looking at a receiving core that Joe feels really comfortable getting the ball out to. And, you know, his tight ends have really stepped up and produced, like I said, and Mark Andrews, a rookie. Uh, you got Max Williams. Uh, it is fourth year, really showing up in uh, some key moments. Uh, Nick Boyle, you know, has really done some some good good work as far as even in his run blocking as well and pass protection. But uh, this new skill position group has done a great job. It is unfortunate that in some key moments in this game, this Browns defense uh, really showed itself as a, a formidable defense. Yeah. Q, I think the Ravens are probably one of the most balanced teams in the league when you talk about being able to run the football. I think uh, Buck Allen does a great job being able to throw the football. We know Flacco has a great arm. And then defensively, they show uh, opportunity. They're opportunistic. They kind of change week in and week out. So if this is just this a this week a little uh, speed bump, or is this something that – the next couple opponents going to be able to look and break down the film and say, hey, we're going to attack the defense here and we're going to take away something offensively here. Do you think uh, this is something they're going to look to or it's just a speed bump? Yeah, I'm hoping it's a speed bump. The tough part is that they have uh, lost a division game, which we both know is not, not only losing, it's almost like a game and a half because it's a division opponent. The fact that you – Look at uh, Baker Mayfield attacking the middle of the field with the defense. That's something that's going to have to be corrected because you saw it with uh, Ben Roethlisberger attacking the middle of the field. Um, I think running the ball, they are balanced, uh, but they failed to get that explosive run, and that's something that you know is, is a little bit odd because I think Alex Collins is an explosive runner. You mentioned Buck Allen. You know they did a great job of having him come out of the backfield and, and be reliable threat for Joe Flacco. Uh, but I think, you know, unfortunately he also had a, a ball knocked out of his hands and uh, Cleveland was able to recover it. Um, so there's some things that are fixable. But I think that, um, I, in other words, I don't think that they were exposed. I think it was a more along the lines of a Greg Williams defense that was determined to come away with uh, a victory and a young quarterback in Baker Mayfield who again you know he made some some key plays that uh, really at the right moment uh, helped them secure a victory right. Hugh we always appreciate the information thanks so much for taking the time to join us again today on the NFL on TuneIn. Love you bro Thank you guys love you too VA now let's recap the Eagles and Vikings game with Anthony Gargano from 97.5 The Fanatic in Philadelphia 
Panthers outlasted the New York football Giants 33-31. Let's break it down with Mike Rucker, the former Panthers defensive end. Mike, thanks so much for taking the time. What was going through your mind when Graham Gano lined up to try a 63-yard field goal to win the game? Well, it was kind of one of those crazy games that kind of went back and forth right to the end. And, you know, the, the, the Panthers were trying to, to get into decent field goal range and some things happened before, but when they lined up, you know, if you think about Graham Gano, he's just one of these guys that's been around a long time. He's a solid veteran. And uh, as soon as they had the snap and the kick, you saw that he had the distance. It now, from my point of view, was was it lined up to go through the, the goalpost. And I tell you what, that place just went crazy. <laughs> it looked like it on, on television. Talk to us a little bit about the personality of this team. Usually when we talk about the Panthers, we're talking defense first and then Cam uh, with, with the uh, Giants having a pretty good day offensively today. What's the personality of the Panthers this year? I think it's um, you'll bend, but you won't break, and you'll do what you've got to do to win the game. Today, it, it, it might not show up in all the columns, but I would give the game ball to Chase Blackburn, the special teams uh, coach. The special teams played a big part, um, not only getting the touchdown, but there were some other, uh, you know, in the kick with Graham Goodell. Special teams played a big part in today's win, um, and I, I really believe that this is like a bend-but-don't-break type uh, attitude. Panthers are now 3-1. and one. We are spotlighting their latest victory with Mike Rucker, the former Panthers defensive end. Mike, we know about the versatility of Christian McCaffrey dating back to his outstanding career at Stanford University. Given how North Turner is using him this year, do you think he's poised for an even bigger season than what we saw in his rookie campaign? I do. I do. I think, you know, anytime that you're a rookie, you know, it's been a long year coming right out of college, going to training and in your rookie year. Uh, I think that he's been able to uh, go back and look at what he did right, build on that. He put on some extra weight. Uh, North Turner's by one of the best offensive coordinators for a guy like him because he puts him in the position to win. And meaning by this is that he's just not going to pound him 30 plays in between the tackles. He's going to split him out in slot. He's going to get him to like screen plays. He's going to move him around, get him in space to allow him to use his ability. Uh, he, he's running the ball. Uh, he's catching the ball. No coach, no turn said that he wants to get him 20, 25, 30 touches a game. And uh, he, he's definitely the weapon. The, the other thing about, uh, you know, what really helps him is that he's got wide receivers that are quick and fast, too. So really, as a defense, I can't key on just Christian. I just can't key in on the receivers or Cam. They just have so many weapons that puts a lot of pressure on your defense. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge Cam Newton fan. I love the way he plays with that energy, and, and particularly when he's at home. Two interceptions today. What is Cam doing to get better as a pro during the offseason, and can you see some of the developments as we go on? Absolutely. Um, you know, in doing the preseason and being able to be around Coach North Turner, the one thing that he wanted to see was you know his completion rate go up and to, to bring down those big, deep balls. When you have a lot of weapons like they do with D.J. Moore, Curtis Samuel, um, Dev, uh, Funches, uh, Christian McCaffrey, you got Greg Olson, he's hurt now, but when he's in there, and then you got Cam, his arm and his feet, that's a lot of weapons. And so you don't have to do it all. Maybe when he first came in, they, he needed to do more. He doesn't need to do that. And so what Coach uh, North Turner has done is like, hey, let's get the ball into the hands as quick as possible into our playmaker's hands. 
10, 15-yard completions and let them do the rest. Let them make the big plays. There was a couple of big plays, I think one by D.J. Moore and Curtis Samuel. Uh, well, Curtis Samuel, I think, actually scored. He gets touched by multiple defensive players from the Giants, and he just keeps going, going, and gets himself into the end zone. That's North Turner's offense is get the ball into the playmaker's hands. Mike Rucker is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Mike, you were stellar on defense in your career. What's your view of this current Panther defense now with the addition of Eric Reed, one of the best safeties in all of football? Yeah, you know, they've been banged up in a couple um, you know, positions. And, and I think that um, you know, they're getting Thomas Davis back next week. I think, you know, when Reed is able to kind of find his place in this defense and kind of settle in and you know, coming off the bye week and being able to get into the playbook even more. This is, a, this is a solid defense. Now, there was a couple of big plays today on them. Uh, they'll be able to go back into the lab. But the one thing that they did against the Giants is that they held them down, and the Giants needed some type of play to kind of get themselves going. And that's when they had Odell uh, throw back to um, uh, Barkley you know, for, for the touchdown, and that gave them their spark in the game. So uh, the defense has played well, but they gave up some big plays today, and I, that, that's uncharacteristic of them. But that's something that they'll go back. They have the leadership to go back uh, this week and prepare to, to knock those out. Mike, we appreciate the information. Thanks so much for your patience and taking the time to join us again today on the NFL on TuneIn. Always good to be with you guys. Let's close out the podcast with the intersection of football and physics. Let's close out the podcast with the intersection of football and physics. It's time for the Playing with Science Checkdown, where science and sports collide. And for that, we're pleased to be joined by our friends, Gary O'Reilly and Dr. Eric Goff. Fellas, trickeration paid dividends today for the New York Giants on the road in North Carolina. Guys, take us through the play. Well, Professor, Professor Eric Goff, this is from the University of Lynchburg. Do my eyes deceive me? And what is the science behind such an amazing play? Well, Gary, when we think of a black hole in the cosmos, we think of an object that sucks everything in and doesn't let go. That's what Odell Beckham Jr. is on a football field. Normally, if a pass goes his way, the defense gets sucked in his direction, and he's not going to let go of the football. And that's what got the Panthers fooled. The Giants had two receivers, including Beckham, on the far left side of the field. Tight end Scott Simonson was in motion to the left. All the action looked to be to the left. When Giants quarterback Eli Manning received the ball, he fired to his left where Beckham stood waiting. Giants tight end Rhett Ellison ran straight down the field and had the attention of Panthers safety Mike Adams. Panthers defensive end Mario Addison, who had lined up across the right side of the Giants line, was focused on Beckham after Beckham caught the ball. The Panthers were getting sucked toward Beckham. Meanwhile, like a stealthy Nittany Lion, Giants rookie running back Saquon Barkley snuck behind Addison. Beckham then threw the pass just before Panthers corner James Bradbury could get to the ball. Beckham launched the ball at nearly 49 miles per hour at a lofty angle of 37 degrees above the horizontal. The ball took 2.6 seconds to reach Barkley. Beckham's pass was 31 yards down the field, but just over that same distance across the field, meaning he threw the ball over 45 yards in the air. When Barkley caught the ball, he had only to outrun Panthers rookie linebacker Jermaine Carter Jr. Barkley hit 19 miles per hour, and Carter didn't have a chance. 
Gary Odell Beckham Jr. acted first like a black hole in sucking the attention of the Panthers in his direction. He then acted like a pro quarterback with a nearly perfect pass to his rookie running back. Professor, thank you so much for the numbers and the physics. Well, chaps, as the professor will tell you, you cannot break the laws of physics. But next week, if Odell catches his own pass, he just may well have bent them, which, of course, is irresistible for me. He will have bent it like Beckham. Life isn't predictable, is it? Well, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Back to you in the studios, guys. Well played. Looking forward to chatting with you guys again next week. That was the Playing With Science Checkdown. All free, only on TuneIn.